Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview people from all walks of life to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make daily happiness and fulfillment a reality. In addition to these weekly episodes, we share discussions, insights, and deeper concepts in the official Stay Grounded Facebook group where aspiring life enthusiasts like yourself can connect and ignite passion for life together. To join this free community, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Welcome to episode 42 of the Stay Grounded podcast. I'm your host, Raj, and I'm super excited to be introducing this week's guest, Majid Mogharaban. So, Majid has been an entrepreneur for a very long time. Before the age of 21, he owned and sold five successful businesses and traveled to over 24 countries. The past seven years, he's mentored hundreds of business owners, including a two-time Olympic gold medalist and an MVP professional football player, but his life wasn't always that way. Uh, He came from an immigrant background, and this story is one of him going through the peaks and valleys of identifying passion and love for life and how to infuse it into day-to-day living. Uh, Majid has got such an incredible perspective just because he works with people from all around the world. His current venture is a company called Expert Speaker, where he helps experts make a bigger impact through public speaking. And so he works with some of the most incredible entrepreneurs and, and icons around the planet. And because of that, he's got a very well-rounded perspective on what makes people live with passion. And so this entire episode, we went on a journey of really exploring what passion was, how you can infuse it into day-to-day life, how to bring back life into your world if you feel like you've lost it through your work or through your relationships, and how to really treasure what matters uh, in life. And so it was just an incredible honor for me to to, to have Majid here. And so I can't wait for you guys to experience him in all of his glory. Uh, but before you do, please, if you haven't already, uh, like us, subscribe to us, rate us on iTunes, give us some feedback, let us know what you like and don't like about the show, get involved and just enjoy this journey that we're on to infuse happiness into day-to-day moments. So without further ado, I want to introduce Mr. Majid Magic. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Stay Grounded podcast. Oh man, super pumped to have my friend Majid. How are you, my man? Hey, what's up, Raj? It's a pleasure to be here. Dude, I'm so pumped. Uh, You are a man who lives with an extraordinary zest for life. I remember first time we met uh, in New York, you were talking about going to, to Italy and, and different parts of Europe. And I was like, what does this guy do? Where does he go? What, so tell me a little bit about like just you traveling. Yeah, um, man. What have you been up to the past, uh, past several weeks, months? What's going on in your world? So the life motto, Raj, I live to travel. Hmm. Chose that one a while back. Uh, you know, I love seeing new places. I love meeting new people. I love the experience. I love the challenge. Um, so to answer your question, what I've been up to recently, just got back from Italy and France month with my family there. And a couple months before that, we were in Spain and Portugal for two months traveling got two little kids, my wife and, uh, built the business around. I lived to travel as the, um, as the philosophy and running a successful business and supporting people around the world while I'm doing it. It's a beautiful thing. We have this ability to do this these days. So that's what's up. I love it. I love it. Well, tell me more about this. So um, you have been in business for a while. Uh, I was looking at your LinkedIn and it showed that you've sold, owned and sold five successful businesses uh, before the age of 21. How did you get your start? 
just in entrepreneurship and why was entrepreneurship such an attractive model for you? Raja was a hot summer day. I was 16 years old riding my bike to the park. <laughs> and whenever I go to the park, I get myself a snow cone because there's a little snow cone stand over by the park. And one day I walked up to the snow cone stand. I was about to order my cherry coconut snow cone. And I see there's a sign on the snow cone stand with two words. I changed my life forever. The words were for sale. Hmm. The business was for sale. She wanted 12,000 bucks. I got a loan from the bank. I did a business plan. I bought the business, ran the business, hired my friends and fell in love with entrepreneurship, sold the business, traveled with the money I made. And then I'm like, I got to do that again. Started another business, sold it, traveled, started another business, sold it, traveled. And by the end of five businesses in 24 countries, I was like, this is great, but I don't want to, I don't want to have to always sell my business to be able to travel. So the, the question I asked myself for a while was, you know, how do I actually travel, go to cool places and come back with more money than I left with? And one of the answers was that was the business that I started 10 years ago, which was the motivational speaking, professional speaker business, because you get the company to pay for your travel, they pay for your hotel, they pay you a speaker fee, and you come home with more money than you left with. Uh, and that model has sort of evolved over the years, but that's kind of been the impetus is that uh, I just love doing business and traveling. How old were you when you, when you bought that first business? 16. 16. Yeah. When you were 16. So tell me more about your, your just growing up. Um, and were your parents supportive of you going into business? Were you just a rebel wanting to, to break out of your shell? Like what, what, what drove you? Um, yeah. and, and what was your support system like? You know, my parents were super supportive of me, uh, but not supportive of me going into business. It's not something that they knew. It's not something that they had, uh, you know, my dad's like, you can do anything you want, be anything you want to be in your life as long as it's a doctor, lawyer, engineer. Mm, He's an immigrant yeah. father. He's like, you know, know the, know the get, get a big education, you know, get that master's degree, get that PhD, get that doctor or whatever. Um, and I'm 33 now and I've got friends I went to high school with that. I feel like they're like still in school, haven't really started being doctors yet. Like they're in like that long, long, long education. And what do they have in common? They're Indian, Chinese, immigrant parents, like my dad's Iranian. So that said, he was actually super supportive once I made the decision to run the business. He wanted me to help me be successful. So uh, he just didn't see the path of how does having a snow cone stand get you into Harvard? Because that was kind of like the, you got to get yourself into Harvard and then become a doctor. That was yeah. kind of you know, top line goal. But I was the only entrepreneur uh, I knew. I didn't even know the word entrepreneur. Uh, I had a couple friends who would mow lawns and deliver newspapers to make some money. But I mean, I wanted to, have, I wanted to get a job. I wanted to have a business because I wanted to make money, which came from like a really deep uh, sort of childhood wound. We weren't poor or broke, but money was always tight. We were like, you know, just worried about spending money. So I was like, maybe the solution is make a lot of money. And then I want to be worried about spending money. turns out it's a little bit more complicated than that. But um, that was kind of my driver is like, if I can just make a ton of money, then I won't have to be stressed out about it. Like my folks are. Why is it more complicated than that? So I made a lot of money and I thought that was going to solve my problems, but I actually continued to worry about money. Even with six figures in the bank account in cash, I was still worried, like, what if, what if, what if, what if, and still worried about spending money. And there's issues like, do I feel like I deserve to buy or, or spend this thing? Um, you know, I did some work, I hired a coach, did some therapy, and one really weird idea that I had, but I realized this was like for sure a money belief that I have, is that when my mother, uh, when I was young, my mother would say to me, uh, you're going to grow up and be very successful and make lots of money. And then you'll be able to take care of me when I'm sick and old. Mm. And she would tell that to me over and over. And I just thought, you know, that's sure. That's what's going to happen. Mom says it's going to happen. Right. And what I realized in this work that I was doing on my mindset was that I was actually trying to prevent that exact scenario because I had combined in my mind, make money means mom is old and sick and I have to take care of her. I don't want any of those things. I don't want mom to be old. I don't want, I don't want mom to be sick. And I certainly don't want to take care of mom. So if I just stay broke, then that'll never happen. That was kind of like my weird psychological 
miswiring of that idea. Right. And um, so, you know, really understanding where these beliefs come from, like, do we deserve to have money? And is it fair to charge when I'm charging? And, and really understanding those beliefs is a big part of um, doing the work that it takes to actually actually feel comfortable with a little bit more wealth. How do you think, and you've spent a lot of time clearly exploring the depths of your mindset and your relationship with money and fear and, and just daily living in general. How do you think passion infuses or complicates the narrative that you might speak to yourself? Like, oh, I'm really passionate about this, so I can do this, or I'm not passionate about this, so I have to charge this much. Like, how do you think passion fits into this equation of life that you're currently creating for yourself? Great question. Passion is really important to me, uh, but I think it's it's sort of an incomplete strategy to say follow your passion and everything else is going to work out. Um, one thing one of my mentors taught me early on is what he calls the map to the money spot, and the M A P map stands for market aptitude and passion. And market is solving problems for people that they're willing to pay for. Aptitude is doing what you're good at, that's strength or a skill for you. And passion is doing what you love. And he gave me a test for each one. So the, the market test is, do people pay for it? If they don't pay for it, there's not really a market for it. The aptitude test is you ask yourself, what comes easily for you that's hard for most people? And the passion test, this is, a, this is an interesting one, is uh, what can you do that an hour feels like five minutes? Mm. Time the relative feeling of time, like five minutes feels like an hour when you're filling out forms, when you don't love filling out forms, right? If that's like not really your passion. Um, so to do all three market aptitude and passion, you're getting paid to do what you love and it's easy. You love it. You're getting, you're good at it. So therefore it's easy to you and you're getting paid. And so I look through the lens in terms of my work of, what area of my business am I most passionate about? Uh, what area of my business is easiest for me because it's a skill that I've developed or it's, a, it's an aptitude that I have? And what area of my business has the most value that when I solve that problem, people are willing to give me the most money or the most uh, solves the biggest problems, right? And that's how I prioritize all the opportunities that come my way. How is... I think that's a brilliant answer for starters, because uh, I think that's such a great framework to, to look at just anything you're doing. Uh, it's almost like a filter you can just look through and see if this is the right opportunity for you. Yeah. Now, I want to ask, uh, just on the concept of passion, how do you think struggle and passion go hand in hand? Mm, mm, mm. Interesting. Yeah, that reminds me, uh, something I left out of the model is uh, what happens when you only have two out of three? So if you have passion and aptitude, that means you're, you love to do it and you're good at it, but you don't have market, that's called a hobby. You love to do it, you're good at it, but you're not getting paid for it, that's a hobby. Nothing wrong with hobbies, uh, that's just not a business. What if you are passionate about it, there's a market for it, but you're not good at it? That's called a dream. You love it, there's a market, but you're not good at it. That's the easiest problem to solve. You develop the skill and you can, and you can do yeah. it. The problem that I see a lot of people fall into, and I, I have friends, I have relatives, uh, and, and it's part of my life's mission to, to take people out of this trap, uh, which is the market aptitude and no passion. And that's what I call a soul-sucking job. You're good at it, you can get paid for it, but you don't love it. So the struggle, you know, the struggle uh, to answer your question, struggle versus passion, um, what you, what you learn, you know, when you're highly ambitious, you have goals, right? You learn about setting goals and they got to be specific and measurable, attainable, realistic, time bound and all this. Uh, you set these goals and then you work towards it and you work towards it and you work towards it. And then the moment comes where you achieve the goal. And then it's the moment after that moment. And that, that fleeting moment of achieving the goal was supposed to be like, that's what was going to make you happy. But then yeah. there's the moment after that and life goes on. And what you find out over time of achieving a bunch of goals is that life is the journey towards achieving the goal. Life is not the goal achievement moment. And as a, you know, ambitious, uh, driven person, 
you set all these goals. And what you notice is that the more you look at your goals, the more you realize I'm here, but I want to be there. And there's a gap to where, and I don't feel good about where I'm at now because I'm not where I want to be, which is those goals. And that puts you in a constant state of like trying to run faster on a treadmill. When you, if you want to experience the, the feeling of happiness and the feeling of progress, what you do is you look at the distance between where you're at now and where you came from. And that gives you that appreciation is like, man, I've actually come pretty far. So you got to practice that a little bit more frequently in during the journey so that you can appreciate it. How has your own struggles in life helped you define your passion? Well, you know, this, uh, this fear of not having money, fear, very powerful driver, but doesn't really make for a good, uh, day to day existence. Right. Yeah. Um, the struggle has been saying yes to opportunities that I don't have the passion, but I have the aptitude and I can make money. That's those soul sucking jobs that I found myself into. And, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs will say, I do this and I do that. And I do that, uh, which was me for most of my career, um, because deep down they believe that any one of those things they wouldn't be successful enough at it. So they got to do multiple things to keep the lights on and pay the bills and make ends work. What ends up happening, and this has been my experience for myself, is that uh, you're just pulled in a hundred different directions. and You can't really be great in any one thing. And you basically need to take the leap of faith that you can, in fact, succeed at one thing and be great at one thing and practice that, that great advice that's sometimes hard to follow, which is called focus. Yeah. Do you think fear and passion sharpen focus? And in what way, I guess I'm like, and I'm more, what I'm really curious about is, because I, I think passion, fear, these, these heightened emotional states really allow us to, to grow and become the types of people we want to be. Like you're either yeah. running from fear or you're being pulled by passion. Yeah. How do you talk to somebody who, who doesn't have these things in their lives and how do you help them look at whatever they're doing? Like, how do you transform the, the first two, which is market and aptitude into passion? Like, how do you take something existing? Like if, if somebody is just doing like a soul sucking job, how do you turn that into passion? So I think the answer is connecting the work to the impact. Okay. Um, Someone like me, I get to work one-on-one very deeply with my clients. So I really see that impact. I just got off the phone with a client who's going through an incredible struggle right now. Um, And I see the work that we're doing is having some amazing growth and that's creating all sorts of turmoil. Uh, But I see his life changing. You know, he's publishing a book. He just landed a big speaking gig. He just launched a big program. Um, So I get to see that impact. And when I go to sleep tonight, I will count my blessings as one of those is my conversation with this gentleman and the role that I played in his life. Now, I know a lot of people are several steps or several degrees removed from their impact. Uh, I I live in a government town, Ottawa, Canada. It's capital of Canada. A lot of federal government employees here. And I've had this conversation with some of them where They'll say, you know, they're working on a project or a policy or a program that just one day the government will change and the program gets shut down. Or they're working on something that's really not going to see the light of day for possibly years. And they don't really see who's benefiting from their work. And they can get quite disengaged because of that um, connection to their work. So the trick is to get their passion and connection is to find somebody whose life is going to be changed by the work that they're doing. They might be proofreading a policy that's going to be submitted for review, et cetera, et cetera, right? But if you can say, okay, what is the impact on someone's lives and connect with their life emotionally, I think that's where the passion comes in and and you can feel that purpose. Mm, So it's almost like developing empathy. Exactly. So how do you think, so for somebody who hasn't stepped out and begun this exploring self-awareness because empathy is a product of self-awareness. So like, how do you, how do you begin to, how do you begin that journey of starting to want impact or crave impact? And, and why is like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get to the core because there's so many people on this planet who live day to day and hate their work and hate their jobs. And I've always believed that if you can just find a way to see why your job is meaningful, 
then you'll be able to find purpose and passion through the work you do. Yeah. So how do you develop that skill set to begin seeing uh, just the greener grass on the other side? You know, there, there's, there's two things that come to mind and, and one more bonus idea. So I'm going to give you three. Um, the, the two things that come to mind are uh, the belief that we are all one. If you want to do that from a religious or spiritual perspective, or if you want to do that from a scientific metaphysical perspective, that we're all a bunch of atoms and sort of connected in that way. Um, doing unto others is doing unto yourself and that sort of thing. If you, uh, it, the lack of empathy comes from a, a belief that you are a self separate from the other selves, right? So I think if, if we believe that we're actually all one, I think it, it becomes easier to empathize. Um, the second thing I think is if, uh, if we take the fear of death, which is hardwired into all of us, um, and, and one of the things that we strive for, which is a, a sort of a strategy to avoid death, is legacy, so that you live beyond your living years. You know, they say there's two times you die, one time when your body dies, and one time when your name is mentioned for the very last time. And so some people seem to have succeeded at that second avoiding that second death by building libraries and winning great noble awards that their name is remembered for a longer period of time, ultimately in eternity, I suppose we'll all be dust. So if you think about um, legacy as a driver against the fear of death and you say, okay, so how can I create legacy? Well, maybe I could build a building and put my name on it, but also just touching someone's life, you know, supporting someone, serving someone, giving to someone, um, you know, you can really instantly end your own internal suffering by turning your attention away from your own woes and problems, the way you think your life should be versus the way it actually is being perceived. And you turn it outwards and say, who can I serve? Who can I help? Ooh, that's and if good. your mission becomes helping other people, I mean, if you're feeling down, pick up the phone, call a friend to cheer them up. Don't pick up the phone, call a friend to complain and let them have them listen to you so that they can help you wallow. But say, I'm feeling down. I want to help somebody else. It is a radical state change to be in that uh, helping someone else. So to develop this empathy, it's, you know, focusing on the question instead of why am I not more successful than I am now? Or why is all this bad stuff happening to me? Focus the question or intention, attention instead on who can I be helpful to right now? Dude, that's so brilliant. I love the, I love the clarity about, I guess if you're, if you're looking inward and focusing on all the things that are wrong with your life, you're pretty much just flipping it and say, don't focus on that. Focus on what's in front yeah. of you. Yeah. Um, which is so, good. So th those, those two ideas, one is uh, we are all one and two focus on serving other people in a legacy way. Um, those are my, my two ideas. And the one bonus idea is unrelated, but maybe think of it when you said the, the person who is at their job and hates their job, that is a person who's not practicing radical personal responsibility. And the person who practices personal responsibility says, I am choosing to go to this job right now. Instead of using language like I have to because I have to pay the pill, bills, you instead choose the language I choose to or I get to. I choose to language says I'm in control of going to this job. I do not need to go to this job today or tomorrow. I can stay home. I can call in, say I'm, not, I'm done. And then you handle the responsibility or the, the consequence. But the I get to go to this job, the phrase I get to go to this job, no matter how bad you think the job is, saying the phrase I get to go to work right now instantly reminds you there are people who would love to switch with my position, right? And that just changes the mood of I hate this job, I'm, you know, I'm, at a, I'm in a job I don't like to, I am counting my blessings and feeling, feeling grateful for what I do have. It's almost like gratitude is the cure to just about anything. It's the secret to happiness, man. It is. That and coffee. That and coffee. <laughs> I mean, they go hand in hand sometimes. Um, so let me ask you this. The, when, when you grew up, like growing up, like you, you became a successful businessman. Did your parents' experience of life change after they saw you become successful in business? That's a good question. Um, I hope they were, you know, here's my kind of theory on, on parenting. And I'm a parent myself. I got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And I feel like our job as parents is to make sure the kid survives. Like deep down, that's what we want, right? And my parents' strategy for that was make sure he gets a good education, make sure he goes to university, make sure he gets a safe, secure job so that 
at least he can handle his, uh, you know, take care of paying his bills or whatever. Um, and I think probably a second priority would be to make sure he's also happy. Right. But primarily make sure he could like take care of himself. Yeah. Um, so I think my parents were happy to know that I'm taking care of myself. You know, I'm doing some of the, I've got some of the classic milestones of progress and you know, I'm married, I own a house, you know, that sort of thing. Although from their perspective, I don't have a job and, you know, and they would be worried. And sometimes I am also worried because every day I sort of wake up unemployed going, all right, uh, how am I going to generate value, make money today and tomorrow? Yeah. Um, and they've been fortunate enough to have those long-term secure jobs with pensions and that sort of thing, uh, which is not the reality for a lot of people these days. So, um, you know, I was recently able to do something that I'm very proud of, uh, that, that feels like a milestone for me. I always had this dream. I'm going to take my whole family on a cruise. I, I didn't do that. But what I did do is I, I invited my whole family to come to Canada and I'm going to buy everybody's flights. And I did that and they're coming next weekend. And awesome. To me, that's, you know, that's the answer to the question. What would you do when you have lots of money? It's like, uh, I want to spend time with my family and I want them to be in my home with me. So let's make that really awesome. When you achieve all the things that you set out to achieve as you're growing and like just through life, like, have you ever experienced like almost like an emptiness from, from achieving all the things you wanted to? And if you have how did you sort of reinvigorate your passion for life after you've sort of reached the milestones that you always wanted to reach? Wow. Yeah. Um, two and a half weeks ago or so, I woke up on a Sunday morning to an email that I've been wanting to receive for uh, at least five years. And it said, congratulations, you've been accepted into a TEDx talk. And I want to share my story about storytelling and, and, and so anyway, I had about, I, I had like a, a surge of happiness and a celebration. And then about 25 to 30 seconds later, I was like on to the next email. And I, and I was, it was remarkable how little time I spent appreciating, celebrating. Um, that kind of, that moment kind of reminded me like, okay, you know, like a goal achieved, but I got to spend more time appreciating, appreciating it. Right. So, um, I think the, the answer to your question is, I think it's important to appreciate that it's all a journey and that the more time you spend appreciating what you do have gratitude and what you have accomplished, um, the more you feel that sense of, uh, achievement, success. Um, and for me, my legacy, my strategy to have my name carried on forever is my children. So I can measure the success of a day based on the, the quantity and quality of time with my kids in a lot of ways. Um, so that's one thing that always brings me back. And I remember I was in a gym working out with my buddy and I was going through this uh, kind of a legal battle, stressing out about it. And my buddy's also a father, very successful entrepreneur. And he says, dude, I have a solution for you. And I thought he was going to recommend a lawyer. <laughs> he said, uh, you, you need to hold your baby. He was just like, hold your baby, dude. You will realize that this is going to blow over and it's not that important. And at the time I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, this is like ruining my life. Um, and now this is like five years or no, it must be like four years later. I hardly, nothing happened. Like it was nothing, you know, it was good advice. It's amazing. The, like you, it's almost like your, your mind generally just goes to that, 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 that fear mode or that like survival, it's survival instincts, right? Why do you think holding your baby in your hand made everything better? Perspective. It's just perspective. You know, a good question to ask yourself is, is this even going to matter five years from now? The answer is usually no. Uh, with those, that quality time that, that, you know, one of my priorities, or let's say it's a very high priority, is to really be present and with my kids. And so perspective is like, that's what really matters to me right now. Yeah. 
how do you balance that perspective with some of the other ambitions you have in your life? Hmm. You know, I'm not great at it. I'm not the king of balance because I'm like, I got all the goals and all the ambitions and I'm super impatient. So it's like all these things need to happen now. And, you know, I'd love to say I got a 30 year plan and it's all rolling out very smoothly. Um, But I think uh, when I do feel impatient about all these things and I lose track of you know, the things that you take advantage of because they be, they're constant, like close friends, close family, my kids, my health. It's like, it's like, yeah, you know, I can worry about my health later. Oh yeah. yeah I can worry about my kids tomorrow. They're not going anywhere. Uh, then one day leads into another where it's like all work and no, uh, you know, investing in those things that are, truly important, which is, you know, spending time with family, spending time with, uh, your health and that sort of stuff. So I think, um, just having a longer perspective on things take time and enjoy the journey, enjoy the process is, is what brings me back to really like, it's realizing it's like, okay to not have all the goals achieved instantaneously. Was there a rock bottom moment that made you have, or helped you clarify what was really important for you in your life? You know, there have been points along the way in business where I've had unsatisfied clients and it is like the worst poison for me. Like my whole, my whole body goes into like, uh, just total shame and guilt and what's this going to do for my reputation and all this. And, um, those are, those are the hardest moments for me because it, it just brings up a ton of fear and, and that sort of stuff. Um, and, and it's, it's impossible to satisfy everybody clients or, or otherwise, and we continuously to get, get better. And there's, you know, one, one thing that uh, I've, I've kind of grown into in my own wisdom is um, under promise and over deliver. Mm-hmm. And where I get in trouble is when I over promise and under deliver. Um, so to stay mindful of that, uh, even though I'm extremely, uh, confident in my ability to do great things for my clients, uh, sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work out. So I have to make sure I manage expectations that way. So that that's, those, those are the moments that I think of when I think of rock bottom, it's like, you know, it's not like I was down and out and out of money or anything, but I would, I would feel like, I would feel like I would wake up in the morning and say, I should shut down my whole business. I should refund everybody. I should cancel everything. And I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can't do this for another day. And what keeps me going is looking back and appreciating how far I've come and taking things one, one step at a time. So that's how you transform those, those moments of fear, guilt, anger into, into positive channels. You know, honestly, Raj, uh, I, I can remember those moments and I would get down to sort of physiological strategies for my body. I would be like, I need to go on a walk. I need to breathe. I need to exercise. I need to get my body right. Um, And unfortunately, my instinct is not to do that. My instinct is to eat junk food and uh, stay up late and, and work and, you know, do a bunch of things that are not helpful for my body. So, um, you know, one of the, one of the advices I, I spent a year and a half unemployed when I moved to Canada. I'm, so I'm originally from the United States, met my wife traveling in Africa. She's Canadian. So I moved to Canada and I didn't have a visa for a year and a half. So I, I couldn't get a job or, or do anything, so to speak. Um, and I spent this year and a half, like really struggling with um, purpose and meaning and all this. And I was listening to a podcast called 48 Days to the Work You Love by Dan Miller. Um, and he would recommend over and over, get to the gym. One of the best job search strategies is get yourself to the gym and take really good care of your body. Cause that's going to help you with your mindset. It's going to help you with your confidence, et cetera. And I really took that to heart. Um, so literally hydration, sunshine, like letting sun touch my skin, um, and like walking and breathing would be, uh, what actually worked to 
you know, boost my mood. It wasn't like crossing things off a to-do list or working an extra hour to feel more productive. It was like basically taking care of my body. How, how good are you at that now? Do you have routines and rituals and structures in place to take care of yourself more? Or is it something that usually falls by the wayside? Uh, and then you kind of have to give yourself this talk again to get you back on your feet. It comes and goes, honestly, Raj. Um, what was a game changer for me this year uh, was investing in some support around it. Um, hired a guy to just help me clean up my diet and take a look at what I was eating and make some recommendations. I have a food service uh, that they have the code to my door and they walk in, drop off two meals and, and uh, right in the refrigerator and leave. <laughs> so I have like food. Magically appearing. <laughs> I have magically appearing food in my refrigerator. And I do have a personal trainer who comes to my house twice a week. Um, so like I'll be in the, you know, I'll have a packed calendar, packed schedule and the doorbell will ring and I'll be like, Oh, right. Workout. Yeah. Um, because for years I would schedule the workout and be like, Oh, that's a thing that I don't have to do right now. I'll catch up on other things. Right. So I made it a thing I have to do by a person ringing my doorbell and saying, we're working out now. Uh, so those are things that I probably couldn't have afforded years ago. Um, in when I was a lot more tight on money, the thing that would work for me is, uh, scheduling a workout with a buddy and having that consistent because I can cancel on myself and just beat myself up about it, but I'm not going to cancel on my buddy. Yeah. So that's just how it worked for me. So accountability was almost like the, the thing that gave you structure when you didn't have anything. Yeah. And I don't make decisions around food now as much. And I don't make decisions around exercise because I sort of made those decisions as I set up those services. So that's one of the things is like, if you're constantly deciding what should I eat today, or if I'm constantly deciding, should I work out now or not? Um, you get to this decision fatigue and I tended to default to the less healthy choice. Uh, whereas if you're like, yeah, you got that accountability, you made the decision, it's built into the calendar. Uh, that's where I started seeing success. Hundred percent. I, I I can't. I'll always remember the day that I started like actually eating the healthy food that I told myself I was going to eat. It was when I decided what I was going to eat the night before. Like mm. I would plan it out. I'd be like, yeah. All right, this is "What I'm going to eat tomorrow? This is what I'm going to work out tomorrow. This is like when I'm going to do it." And I would just plan it the night before, and then I'd wake up and I wouldn't have to think about it. And I think that decision fatigue thing is so real. Totally. Um, in so many ways. And it's, and it's so much easier to fall into that trap when you don't have the habits already built. Right. Yeah. Like, like when you have the habits built, you can kind of like kind of will your way through, but when you don't yeah. like so hard. Um, so tell me more about your day-to-day -day life. Like you travel a ton. Uh, yeah. how do you, how do you keep yourself like just moving and, and on a ritual when you travel so much? Cause that's one of the biggest problems I have with travel. I fall off my, my, my routines and the things that sort of fill my well up with like self care and, and working out and eating right. Like how do you balance that when you're on the, when you're on the go so much? I use a calendar a lot and I schedule things and, uh, Europe was, Europe was fun this year because, uh, I would take calls from, uh, 1 PM to 5 PM Eastern time which was like 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. Uh, Europe time. So I'd spend the whole day with my family. So we've got our morning routine of the kids are waking up and we're brushing our teeth and we're playing games. And then we would have some sort of a outing or adventure scheduled for the day. And then I would have these back-to-back -back calls. I use a, a scheduling software uh, so that people can just schedule and reschedule into my calendar so I don't have to constantly manage that. Um, so the routines would be, um, you know, what, what messes, what messes you up is when you wake up too late to your first appointment and then you're in this like chaos anxiety state, like, Oh crap, we got to rush, rush, rush. Right. Um, so I know like I need like two hours before my first appointment. If I have less than two hours before my first appointment, I'm probably not having a good morning. Like I'm not doing sort of the shower, the eating and the, the stuff I like to do first thing. Um, so getting your mind right. And there's a, there's a product, uh, uh, called the five, the five minute journal, Love which it, I yeah. recommend to anybody. It says, what are three things you're grateful for? What are three things that you're going to do today to make today awesome? And what's your mantra for today? 
which is like an I am feeling great and productive today or whatever. And then at the end of the day, uh, what three things did you learn? Those are kind of lesson learns. And what were three things you're grateful for? And that just gets your mind around programming yourself to look for gratitude, programming yourself to think about what am I going to do today to make it awesome, and then reflecting on the day, what, you know, what went well, what could have gotten better kind of stuff. Um, when I don't look at tomorrow's calendar, I will sleep with a state of anxiety because there's a bit of uncertainty what's coming up tomorrow. So, uh, you know, I, I now dress, uh, I make as few clothing decisions as I can. I basically have like a couple standard outfits and I just wear those. But before I used to worry about what should I wear tomorrow? And that question had, was like a domino question for me to consider what's my day like tomorrow. So who am I meeting with? What's the weather like? And then I figured if I will choose my clothes the night before, that means I've done all the other thinking about the night or of the next day. So thinking about what are my meetings, I'm thinking about what's the day like, I'm kind of visualizing it. So that one activity of choose the clothes the night before had the effect of like getting me ready for the day. I want to like go deeper on a concept because uh, when I, when I listen to you speak, you have a lot of like, just a very like, seem like a very upbeat, passionate guy. Um, in general. And I think it's amazing. Which is why I like hanging around you. But um, beyond that, do you think pain in your life is important? And because when it shows up, you know, it doesn't feel the best. But just from your experience of going through pain, going through peaks and valleys, do you think it has a place in your life? And if it does, how do you normalize your relationship with it to where you don't look at it like the world is coming against you? You know, the first thing, first thing is I was thinking like, I would love to live without pain. Honestly, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, but what I learned about emotion that I find very useful when I have the presence to remember it and utilize it, um, is that an emotion is a signal to tell you something, right? And the basic emotions are like fear, anger, loneliness, sadness, frustration. And then so if I can observe my experience and ask myself, what emotion am I feeling? And, and give it a label. I am feeling scared right now. I'm feeling angry right now. Um, and then I say, ask myself, what is that signal telling me about this? Like you're, I'm creating some sort of meaning around this situation, right? I'm telling myself a story about it. This emotion is signaling to me something. I know for sure that doing nothing is probably not going to change my reality. So maybe I need to do something and taking action is just a great way to, you know, take responsibility and get into it. Right. And so if there's fear, then that means I need to prepare. I need to get organized. I need to maybe write some stuff down and just gather my thoughts or I need to like research this a little bit. Let's get organized. Um, you know, if it's loneliness, it's like, okay, my body's telling me I need connection. Like how can I create connection right now? Um, if it's anger, it's telling me like something is important to me or my expectations are not being met. And maybe it's my expectations that I can adjust. That's going to solve this. So point being is like pain is there to give you a signal to tell you some information and you can choose to act on that information or you can choose to not act on that information. Um, and changing your state as simple as taking a couple of deep breaths or as simple as walking around the block. Those are sort of healthy examples of changing your state. Unhealthy examples would be grab a couple chocolate chip cookies or a beer or some drugs or something uh, to change your state in other ways. Those are ways to sort of avoid the signal and often result in missing the message. Mm. Like you're missing the message of the emotion and it's just going to come back and it's going to come louder uh, until you hear the message and appreciate it and say, thank you for telling me that was something I really cared a lot about and that showed up to me as anger. So I appreciate that I care a lot about that and this is what I'm going to do about it. That's a brilliant way of looking at it. I love, I love how like in tune you are with your emotions, man. You've got like a, a, I can tell years of experience seasoning that. Um, Majid, mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know how to say this, but you're just a freaking rock star, dude. Uh, Thanks, man. 
in, in, in many ways, uh, like I love, I just love how self-aware you've, you've become. Do you have any tips for people who aren't there yet and, and want to get there? Like what's the first step to becoming more self-aware? The first step to becoming self-aware, I think, is to realize that the voice in your head is not you. And you can be the observer of your thoughts. And you can write those thoughts out in a journal and look at those words on a page and be curious and say, that was interesting. I had those thoughts. Um, you know, so from a cinematography perspective, imagine you've got the camera out there filming you and be the cameraman for a minute. So sort of observe yourself um, and, and be curious that you are an animal with instinct that has evolved and you've got a brain, you know, and, and it's, it's designed for survival. Your brain has highly prioritized survival as the number one concern. Uh, but as a person whose survival needs are basically met and you're not, you know, being chased and hunted, you need to kind of reprogram your mind for higher purposes. And reprogramming your mind and changing beliefs is, first of all, knowing that it's possible is a powerful insight to have. Um, the analogy I like is like, imagine that a belief is like an article of clothing that you can take off and you can put on a different article of clothing. You could try on a different belief and uh, take it off. And I think the most powerful beliefs are the ones that start with the words, I am. Um, one example of that, uh, is I was watching a, a, a podcast interview, I think a YouTube video and a colleague of mine, she's a coach, she's a, a speaker. Um, she said, I consider myself an artist first and foremost, and what I'm producing is art. And my job is to make, make great art and, and help that art propagate and spread. And I thought that is a powerful identity. And I'd like to take that on for myself. And I do now consider myself an artist. And I don't know, I don't change my business card and say artist. I didn't update my LinkedIn profile to call it artist, but just having the identity, I am an artist has changed the way I do my business, changed the way I work day to day. Um, and so identity level belief changes can be very powerful. And it's as simple as telling yourself, I am, I am successful. I am a good, whatever your role is in the world. Uh, you know, when it comes to wealth, one of the things I started saying well before it was true, uh, was good thing. I'm rich. Hmm. I'd get a big bill and I, and I'd say, great, good thing. I'm rich. And it was true to me when I would say it that way. Sometimes my limiting beliefs would come up and say, no, you're not, dude, you are broke. <laughs> uh, good thing. I'm rich is what I want to tell myself. And that's how I want to feel. Right. Majid, that was like, I, I, I can't, when I was, I, I built Java Press when I was working a full-time job. That's when I started it. And I still remember when I first started, uh, I was an engineer in my past life. And instead, uh, one of the first things that I did was I would just start telling people I'm an entrepreneur um, mm -hmm. instead of the engineer. And yeah. eventually I brainwashed my subconscious to just think I was an entrepreneur. And I started acting like an entrepreneur. Yes. Started, like being that right. So I think what you're saying is spot on, dude, I, man, you, you are amazing. I, I love every bit of insight you've shared here. Majid, how, um, how can we support you? Like what, what, where can we find, if people wanted to get in touch with you, how does that happen? If they wanted to learn more from you, like just be a part of your world. How does that happen? Well, my mission is to help experts get their story onto stages and serve more people with their message through public speaking. And my website is expertspeaker.com. So you can help me by sending people who want to do more speaking and share their message over to expertspeaker.com. You can find us on YouTube and social medias and all that. Um, you're more than welcome to send me an email, majid at expertspeaker.com. And Raj, I want to thank you for opening this conversation to a really meaningful, really deep philosophical conversation and not just having the... Uh, the typical, what do you do kind of stuff. And I really appreciated it. Dude, of course. I have one last question for you. Um, in the midst of everything you've been through from the peaks, the valleys to where you are now to just your entire journey, how do you stay grounded every day? Hmm. It's the breath, my friend. It's the breath. When I'm losing it, 
it's because I'm not breathing. And uh, I, I learned a little bit of the, the evolutionary component here is that when you're being hunted or when you're trying to sneak around and not get eaten by a tiger, you make a really shallow breath. And if you can imagine like sneaking around your house late at night, not trying to wake people up, you go really shallow breaths so that the predator doesn't hear you. And when you breathe deeply, you're almost telling your body, there's no predator here right now. It is the fastest, easiest, cheapest, most effective way to go from stress, chaos to presence. Mindfulness is like two or three deep breaths. And so I am doing that a lot throughout the day. And I'm not talking about crossing my legs and meditating for half an hour, which I do on a good day, but not always. Uh, a couple deep breaths, man. That's it. You just made me take a couple deep breaths. Hey, you <laughs> say that. Oh, man. Jade, super grateful to have had you here, man. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time and sharing all these amazing insights uh, for myself and, our, and the audience. So thank you so much. I just want to thank you again. Um, but, uh, everybody that is a wrap for this week's episode of the stay grounded podcast. I'm your friend Raj. This is your friend Majid and from us stay grounded. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of stay grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.